Bo Nix got off to a pretty rough start over the weekend against Georgia, throwing for under 200 yards and two interceptions. But he did not perform so poorly that Duck fans should be calling for him to be benched. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Like, comment, subscribe, wherever you're listening to or watching the show. Thank you to everybody out there who has done so already. We hit a 1,000 subscribers overnight on the YouTube channel. A big thank you to all the Duck fans and anybody else out there who has subscribed to the show. Thank you for supporting. It really does uh, mean a lot to me because I love doing the show, love getting to talk with you. Being a part of Oregon football like this is a lot of fun for me, and I'm glad to see that so many of you enjoy it. So we did not enjoy the game on Saturday, and there were a number of people, LeGarrette Blunt among them, who did not enjoy in particular the performance of Bo Nix. Now, he's a very polarizing player because he can do some good things and he can do some very not good things. And we knew that coming in when he was uh, introduced as uh, the transfer. And uh, by the way, before I forget, this episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, helping you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions do apply. Can't forget that. We're grateful to all of our sponsors here at the Locked On Podcast Network. But Bo Nix wasn't great, but he was not the biggest problem on Saturday against Georgia. And if you think that, I think what you were looking for there is a little bit of confirmation bias. And people, you know, I understand we're excited about Ty Thompson when he committed. I was too. And a lot of people are kind of waiting for him to, to be the next guy. It's noteworthy, though, to me that two different staffs have not seen him as the best quarterback on the roster. You can disagree with those decisions, but these are completely different staffs, and they have both come to the same conclusion, and that is that Ty Thompson is not the quarterback who gives the Ducks the best chance to win a football game on a given Saturday. And so when you're looking at Bo's performance from Saturday, no, it wasn't that good. But did I think he looked horrendously awful? No, not really. He wasn't great. But the offense had over 300 yards against a Georgia defense that is by far the best that the Ducks are going to face this season. So if you can put up 300 plus yards of offense and no, they did not execute well in the red zone, didn't have any touchdowns and such, need to be better in those uh, particular situations, which I will get to here momentarily. But if you're putting up over 300 yards of offense against Georgia, what can you do against Pac-12 teams? The answer is be in the high 300s to 400s, and then once you start to execute a little bit better, you can score at a rate that will allow you to win games. But Bo is responsible for some of the execution shortages and and shortcomings that we saw on Saturday. The touchdown miss to Terrence Ferguson, that's got to be a completion. I mean, it's a well, it's a well-designed play. It was well executed. Ferguson was there and he threw it too high and too hot. Like that was not a good throw. The interception on the fake screen, that was a bad interception. I have no problem with the first one. He took a shot. That's something we were all clamoring for a season ago. And the Georgia defensive back made a better play. Tip your cap and say that was really good. But second interception, yeah, he has to see that better. And it's not something that that I hope is going to repeat itself because a year ago, you know, the narrative about Bo Nix is, you know, he turns the ball over a lot and he can't take care of it and all this sort of stuff. 
I wonder how many of you knew that in nine and a half, ten games, however many he played in 2021 uh, with Auburn, his touchdown to interception ratio was almost four to one. If he did that again this year, if those were his final numbers with the two interceptions he threw here today, and by the way, not all interceptions are created equal when you are looking at a quarterback's box score and you say, like, oh, he had two interceptions. Well, what if one went off a receiver's hands? What if one was just an amazing play by the defensive back? Uh, You have to have context when uh, you're analyzing the stats of a quarterback in particular. But the fact that the offense moved the ball pretty consistently just couldn't capitalize, couldn't execute, gives me a good amount of confidence that the offense is going to be able to to put up some points this year. They're not going to score just three points in every game this season. I hope I didn't really need to say that, but felt like I should uh, cover the basis. Um, but the execution in the red zone was a problem, right? That That was the biggest problem with the offense because passes were completed to wide receivers, Right. I think he forced a couple throws to to running backs on plays that were designed to get the ball to the guy coming out of the backfield. But I thought he used his receivers decently well. We saw Chase Cota make some nice catches. Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton all involved. Those kind of look like Oregon's three best receivers on, on Saturday. And that's not not something that should come as a surprise based on what we saw last year and what we were talking about with that position group coming into this season. Uh, Patrick Herbert didn't have a catch. He did get in the game. Uh, I believe Cam McCormick had a, a reception, Terrence Ferguson, a, a couple catches. So he was facilitating the ball around pretty well. And I think Kenny Dillingham did a, a good job as well. Um, again, most, it was mostly bad trying to find any positive I can in, in a sense, but and did a good job uh, of getting a lot of different guys involved and kind of seeing what what they had in those particular players. And uh, I think the aforementioned three top receivers, Thornton, Franklin, and uh, Chase Cota, were kind of the top three coming into this year. And, and I think that it's only going to get easier for them as the season goes on. The execution's got to get better, and Bo has to be better with that. But you have to remember that this is an offensive staff that's got a new head coach, and that has a first-time, full-time play caller. This is the first time in Kenny Dillingham's career he has been the guy who is sending a play down to the sideline every single time. He's never done that before. You have to understand that there is a learning curve to doing that job. It is tremendously difficult. The reason that this probably didn't come up as much a season ago is that Joe Moorhead had been there for a season, and Anthony Brown was behind Tyler Shuck and came in, and and, there was continuity with that particular staff and how they wanted to play offense and the play calls and whatnot. But this is all brand new, and it's brand new to Kenny Dillingham, and it's brand new to Bo Nix. He had a year with Kenny Dillingham at Auburn, but Gus Malzahn was the actual play caller there. You have to give quarterbacks and offensive coordinators in a new system time to develop and grow. You, you have to, because if you just judge them based on the, the first impression that you get, I know you only get one chance to make him first impression, but this can go both ways. If, if Bo Nix had come out and, and gone for 250 and three touchdowns, would you have, would you have said as anyone out there who's right now questioning Bo Nix that he should be, uh, he, he should be doing that every week? Would you have expected him to do that every week? The answer is no. It's not the sort of player that he is, but it doesn't mean that he can't be better statistically than what he showed on Saturday. But you have to give him and Kenny Dillingham time to grow together, to learn together, and to work out the kinks. And that's what this week against Eastern Washington, I think, is primarily going to be about. Getting the offense to execute on a more consistent, fluid basis, not have moments. I mean, 
for goodness sake, we had two guys run into each other. We had what looked like some misassignments and plays, you know, on that Bonix bad interception. You had two guys running in the same spot that looked like they were not on the same page. It looked like an offense that was under a guy who hadn't hadn't run it before, who hadn't been the head offensive coach on a staff. And that's what Kenny Dillingham is. And you've got to give him time and you've got to give Bo Nix time uh, as well. And, and there are people who I'm sure were watching going, man, can we just play Ty Thompson and see what we have and, and such? And I understand if you felt like you wanted to get him in at the end of the game. But again, when you're trying to learn how to execute and you're trying to learn how to grow within this offense, you want to get as many snaps in a game environment as you can uh, for Bo Nix and, uh, and all the guys and whatnot. Um, but I have another note on that I, I want to share after I remind you all that as you gear up for fall, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Add your purple hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile, so spread the word that you're hiring so people can know that you are looking to find the right candidate. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions apply. For those of you who were against Bo Nix, and I know there's a subset of Oregon fans who are in that camp, I understand it. I'm not there personally, but I, I get how you can be in that particular uh, group of fans. If you were in that mindset coming into the season and you watch Bo Nix in the offense play and your conclusion is, well, why didn't you play Ty Thompson? Why wasn't it, it Ty Thompson? Like, I don't want to see Bo Nix and this or that. I ask you this question. What have we seen from either Ty Thompson or Jay Butterfield so far in limited action, mind you, but we watched them all in the spring game. What about that leads you to believe that either of them would have performed better than Bo Nix, who I'm not saying performed great, but what about what we know about them leads you to think that they would have been better than Bo Nix in that environment? I, I have not seen that evidence at this point in time. Two different staffs have determined that Ty Thompson is not the best quarterback in the room. And based on what we saw in Ty Thompson's limited action a season ago, kind of seems like that's the case. Doesn't mean he can't one day, but everybody wants immediacy. Everybody wants it to work and click right away. And I'll go back to something I mentioned numerous times on yesterday's show because it's important. Chip Kelly's offense in game one. If that had happened today and the people are saying, well, it should just be Ty Thompson no matter what. Would you have benched Jeremiah Masoli because the offense put up eight points? I don't think so. You have to give these guys time to develop and grow and make adjustments. Now, I am not of the mindset that you start Bo Nix no matter what for the entire season, because if it gets to a point and things really go off the rails, like way, way off, like headed for maybe a sub-500 season, then you see what you have in Ty Thompson. But my assessment, Bo Nix is still the quarterback that gives Oregon the best chance to win, and he didn't do all bad things. He did some bad things Saturday that he needs to work on. Like, we, we understand that, but he also did some good things. And, and I think that as the year goes on, if Bo Nix is able to remain the starter at the end of the season, does anyone think he's going to be the exact same and the offense is going to perform the same as it did this week against Georgia? To me, that answer is pretty clearly 
No, and I don't think either of the other quarterbacks it was really going to change that against Georgia because you had a coaching mismatch in, a ta- in addition to a talent gap, and the coaching deficiency was actually bigger than the talent gap. Now, Kirby Smart is, by all accounts, from what I can tell, a pretty good guy, so he's not going to come out and say, yeah, we're better coaches, but he was willing to come out and say we have better players, which is true, but the coaching gap in that game was far more pronounced than the talent gap. Oregon has a lot of talent on its roster. You look at the recruiting classes the last few years, it's there. Georgia's is still at another level. There's no question about that, but it's not a 49 to 3 talent gap. Okay? That's a score that hopefully we see this weekend between Oregon and Eastern Washington, and that is not the gap that exists between Oregon and Georgia from a roster perspective and just the players that you have to put out on the field. What you did have is a coaching staff that has to learn. And there is a learning curve to coaching, just like literally anything else in life. And you're never going to be at your best in week one. You have to be willing to have some patience, let the offense grow. And, you know, Bo Nix himself should be given a chance here. That might not be a very popular opinion with some Oregon fans, but I watched that spring game a lot. And I watched what all three quarterbacks were able to do and I would have started Bo, and I'd continue to start him. If it goes really, really bad, yeah, there could be a time where, I, where I'd want to see Ty Thompson, but right now, Oregon still has a lot to play for this season, and Bo Nix has won a number of college football games in his career and is the most game-ready quarterback that, that Oregon has. And, and the offensive execution has to be better from Kenny Dillingham, and Bo needs to improve, right? I'm not saying I'm going to sit here and just not hold Bo to a standard of improvement. He needs to get better in, in certain areas, reading a defense, not staring guys down on uh, on a select few plays. But I think in a few weeks, we're going to feel differently about the offense, or I hope we will, unless if that happens where we don't feel differently than how it feels right now, then yeah, it'll be time to make changes. But right now, you can't overreact to week one. Week one is for observations, not conclusions. In Eastern Washington, things should be clicking, right? Way more than they were the first week. You're going to be at Autzen. You're playing a far inferior opponent in an FCS school, a really good FCS school that beat Oregon State years ago with Vernon Adams, as we all remember. It's not someone Oregon should just, you know, take lightly, but it is someone that Oregon should should manhandle. That's what I'm expecting. That's what all of you should expect as well. And then BYU will be the best barometer. If Bo Nix goes out against BYU, a team that has a defense that, uh, according to people that I talk to who cover the team, say is a little a little suspect at times, if he goes out in that game and goes for a similar stat line and his, uh, his numbers at Georgia over the weekend were 21 for, uh, I believe, 37, 173 yards, couple interceptions, and uh, no touchdowns. If he does that against BYU, then it's time to ask questions. But I don't think judging anything about this Oregon team or any individual player or, heck, even an individual unit to the point where you can draw conclusions is appropriate or fair because it was up against a team that is just vastly better than Oregon right now. From a roster perspective, from a coaching perspective, you, you can't make those sorts of conclusions after one week. After BYU, I think you can, because that's a more comparable team for the Ducks to be able to beat this year. But right now, I, I think we have to hold off. I know it's not easy to to hear me come on here and say, look, you just got to wait and be patient and, and let things play out a little bit more. 
I'm not saying it needs to take the entire season, but it's got to be more than than just one week. And I, I think Bo Nix can be much better. I know that he is much better than what he showed against Georgia. And I don't think either of the other quarterbacks on Oregon's roster would have performed any better. We have to go to a suboptimal piece of news right now that the Ducks got. Um, they were without Popo Almavai, a reigning 2021 first-team All-Pac-12 performer against Georgia, and I don't think he would have made all the difference in the world, but I'd rather have him than not have him because he's been a really solid player on Oregon's defensive line, particularly against the run. Not a big uh, get-pressure-on-the-quarterback sort of guy, um, but he's out for the season. Uh, Dan Lanning announced that and he's having to have surgery. I believe it's on his foot. And I, I mean, first of all, you just feel for the guy like, you know, we as fans are are excited for any given season, including this one. Right. I mean, we wait all off season and we just want to see football games again. We want to see him play out and, and all that sort of stuff. Nobody wants him more than the players because they have to put in hours upon hours and practices and practices, weeks and weeks, months and months of hard, grueling work to get ready. And he's now done for the season. Uh, and it just sucks. He's, he's just going to be robbed of what could have been a, a nice 2022 year for him. I just, that is, is really unfortunate. Maybe he'll be back next season, but I imagine he might uh, try his luck going to uh, the NFL after this year. And if that's the case, wishing him the best uh, and a speedy recovery. But this now leaves a little bit of hole on, on Oregon's defense, a unit that, in, in my view, struggled more than the offense uh, against Georgia. Um, because, as I've said, the offense moved the ball and just didn't execute. They had it was not a bunch of three and outs. It was not, uh, you know, a bunch of four and outs or three and outs or get one first down and punt like. They moved the ball. They just were not able to finish those drives off. And part of that is because Georgia's defense is incredibly talented, incredibly fast, and remarkably well coached. The more I watch uh, highlights and, and whatnot from that game, the more I see a Georgia defense that just has a bunch of guys who have been so unbelievably well coached. Their instincts are off the charts, and they trust them, and they act on them, and they've got the physical traits to, to dominate as well. But Oregon now has to, you know, kind of seek a, a replacement here. And the names that you're looking for off the bat, Sam Taimani figures to be a, a guy who plays a lot in his absence. The Washington transfer, who, according to PFF, was one of the five highest grade interior defensive linemen in the Pac-12 a season ago. Casey Rogers and Jordan Riley, the Nebraska transfers as well, have to step up. There are a couple other names that, that you might want to watch for. You know, Keon Ware Hudson, Keanu Williams. Jake Shipley, the freshman Sir Mel's. I, I think of the of those guys. Keon Ware Hudson's probably most likely. He, he's the most experienced. But what this does for Oregon's defense is, is brings into question how effectively you're going to be able to stop the run. Because I think Popo on that defensive line was probably your best run stopper. You know, Dorless uh, is certainly capable of of doing that, no doubt. He's the most well-rounded defensive lineman that that Oregon has. Little uh, technical snafu in there, and I had to come back and record later, hence the uh, different shirt and a little bleep. But Popo, a really good run stopper in there. And this is why you bring in transfers and why you always want to add as much depth as possible 
at uh, at the recruiting ranks, right? Why you always want to bring in more guys at a given position group and why having too many is a good problem to have because you don't know when a guy's going to go down. And, and sure, he's one of the best. And can any of the guys that are behind Popo be as good as him? Probably not. But if you look at just the top line starters at a given position and then say, well, you know, that we're, we're good there, don't need to necessarily prioritize adding any more talent or experience at that specific position or within that position group, then you'd run into a situation where the drop-up is drop-off is really severe. And that's what Oregon is going to have to avoid here on the defensive line. The drop-off cannot be severe. And we're, we're going to see how Sam Taimani can perform and whether, you know, he performed pretty well analytically last year, statistically, not exactly what Husky fans were hoping for. They were not very unhappy to see him go. And Casey Rogers and Jordan Riley, they've been solid. I'm pretty sure this is Riley's like sixth year of college football. He's been around for, for quite a bit, and he's a big body in there. But one of the two of them is going to have to make some impact plays that aren't always going to show up on the stat sheet without Popo in there. And, you know, the good news is they got some reps uh, against Georgia because Popo didn't play in that game either. But uh, the bad news is now it's a position group where you have a major question mark. Because coming into this year, when we're looking at the defense, right, the people who we knew were starting, Brandon Dorless, Popo Amavai, Flo and Noah Sewell, Basso would be in there a lot, Christian Gonzalez at a corner, who I, I thought looked pretty good for the most part on uh, – on Saturday, safety wide questions, the other corner, defensive end, probably knew DJ Johnson would be starting, but Popo had been just such a rock. And now going forward, we have to figure out who's going to be able to to fill that void. It'll be one of the names that, that I mentioned, but as to who it'll be, it'll be whoever steps up. Might even be a hot hand situation. You might see Taimani start this Saturday against Eastern Washington. It could be Jordan Riley starting in Popo's spot in, in a week or two, depending on how uh, each guy is able to perform and who stays healthy along the defensive front as well. And, and the other thing, too, is we were always going to see a lot of these guys. Defensive tackle, you rotate that position probably more than any on the field. You rotate maybe a safety every now and then, linebackers kind of often. But defensive line has got the most turnover, right? When a goal line situation comes up, if the other team subs, you put fresh bodies in on the defensive line because the others have typically been worn down. So it was always going to be a position where depth was important, but now it's it's even more so without Popo there. And it, it sucks. I feel bad for the guy in Oregon's defense that has a lot of questions right now going into this game against Eastern Washington and the following week against BYU is going to have to do it without a 2021 first team all Pac-12 performer, and that's not an easy thing to replace. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.